Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steiner Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Presented by Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live, this series is made possible by the fine folks at Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. On today's episode, we are thrilled to be talking with Nick Hexham, singer, guitarist, and songwriter of the band 311. Now, this has been a special year for Nick, personally and professionally. Not only did Nick just celebrate his 50th birthday, but also 311 reached the milestone of 30 years together as a band. And during that time, 311 has released 13 albums and given us hits such as Down, All Mixed Up, and my personal favorite, a stellar interpretation of The Cure's Love Song. Now on the Going There podcast, our goal is to shine a light on the incredibly difficult topic of mental illness so we can all come out of the darkness and get the care we need. So we talk with musicians who struggle with their mental health just like us. And we have in-depth conversations asking the tough questions so we can learn from each other and put an end to the stigma of mental illness. Now, over the course of his life and career, Nick has really stepped up and been willing to share his struggles with how he copes with mental health issues. In fact, about a year ago, I had the pleasure of interviewing Nick about how he coped with stress and worked to maintain his mental health. And what was so striking was the depth and focus of his process of coping with anxiety. Nick has spent years, through personal exploration and therapy, grounding himself in an active, thorough, and deliberate process that involves gratitude, learning to accept and tolerate intense negative emotion, and a focus on identifying and challenging toxic negative thoughts. So let's go there and check out what Nick has to say. Okay, Nick, welcome. Welcome to Going There. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Now, you and I have talked before, and it was a great conversation. I really appreciated all the ideas that you've had on how to take care of yourself, how to take care of one's mental health. And I thought what we would start with is something that you and I talked about a little bit before the podcast, which was just struggling with anxiety. Now, anxiety can manifest in different ways for different people. And so, you know, I'm kind of curious just how that has played out in your life. I think um, looking back now, since I just had my uh, 50th birthday earlier this year, you know, it's at first um, I had such a real drive for attention and um, kind of something to prove. Um, very highly risk tolerant, um, very ambitious. And then um, after I kind of started to get that attention that I craved, I would start to feel like, but now what if I can't, what if self-doubt, what if I can't sustain the, uh, the attention that I craved? And like, what if I, what if I freeze up? What if I, uh, just going through these what ifs as uh, you know, is kind of obvious, like, um, and then seeking help and support um, and sort of the cognitive behavioral therapy type solutions of um, counteracting um, those type of feelings of self-doubt by um, getting into writing, doing like morning pages through this, um, you know, thing called the artist way, which is just getting to know yourself and then building self-esteem. So I feel like I can handle 
um, things that come, you know, getting into self-care, but you know, it's, it's, it's a long time coming. It's, it's a journey that's never over. I mean, I love psychology just coming from a family of psychologists, as we talked about in that interview that we did before. And I see how many traits that I have, um, that my, my grandfather had and, uh, just, it's this journey of self-discovery. Now, when you talk about anxiety, anxiety can manifest in so many different ways. You know, some people, they have panic attacks and some people, they worry other people obsess or, and some people are just like more generally keyed up. And I'm kind of curious if you're comfortable just for you, like, like, how did you know you were anxious? Like, what, how did that play out for you? Um, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I wrote a song in, in like, uh, on the album sound system called mind spin and it's about the mind spinning and repetitive thoughts and, um, you know, these, these what ifs that just keep coming. And then it kind of can lead to, um, insomnia. You know, I think that there was a lot of uh, the song flowing from our al the same album sound system was talking about, um, just being awake and thinking of what ifs. And it was kind of, I guess that would, I would have been 29 at that time. So that was sort of a transition time from like the, um, young fearlessness to like, okay, I'm an actual grown up now. And just the beginning of that, um, self-discovery, but, um, I don't think I had like full on panic attacks, but I'm more about getting into, uh, needless worry and, um, and then wanting to like self-medicate because I didn't have, um, you know, tools, you know, even though I had had a lot of psychologists in my life, I'd never really, um, you know, asked for, for help from myself. I was always like this guy, I got it, I got it, I got it. And then finally like, okay, I don't got it. And, um, you know, that's when you go through that portal of going from unteachable to teachable, it's something that you, you know, I never want to go back to um, that place of, I don't know, lacking humility to, I always want to remain teachable and always, you know, keep reaching out and keep different things going in my life for, for self-care that, uh, you know, makes life manageable. And one of the things that you're talking about with the, the spinning thoughts, that what if is so dangerous. And, and the thing that's so dangerous about it is that it seems so um, harmless. But what you're really doing, not, not you, but all of us do, is we're presenting non-falsifiable catastrophic scenarios in our head. You know, and, and I've heard when I work with people, people saying, well, you know, what if I uh, jump out the window? What if I embarrass myself in front of a big group of people? And the problem is, is that those are all reasonable questions on some level, but you can't prove that they're wrong. Yeah. And so what's your mind left to do other than stay up? And I think that for somebody like yourself, when you're talking about from fearless to fearful, the people that sometimes have the toughest time with that are the can-do people because they're used to being able to solve problems. And all of a sudden now you've got this problem and you can't solve it, but you don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. I think be, besides future tripping, which is kind of what we're alluding to there, I would also get into regret about, you know, in one of the, our famous lyrics from all mixed up, trust your instincts and let go of regret. And that's not just because I always knew to let go of regret. It's something that I would be like, you know, why did I say that to this person? Or how did I make that mistake? And just, you know, this sort of self-flagellating kind of um, thinking that um, is tough to get out of. And then when it comes to future tripping, it took me um, a long time until I could get to a place of like, I'll know how to handle it when I get there. I'll, I'll know what to do when I get there because, you know, you just have to stop yourself at some point because you can easily stay in that repetitive thing. And then I also, you know, I've never been, you know, diagnosed bipolar, but I know that I go through these kind of swings where at certain times everything is easy. I'm excited, uh, you know, 
total confidence. And other times I'm just not feeling it. And I would say it, I've also, like I said, I get into a lot of writing where I would kind of write down, you know, a mood tracking kind of thing. And where I give myself that space where it's okay to not be okay. You know what I mean? Like, okay, I'm going through a bit of a slump right now and maybe just the bare minimum today is acceptable. Um, and then getting into uh, reminding myself of that I'm doing a good job because it can become pretty um, easy to focus on self-criticism. And that's not a, that's not a fun place to be. Well, you know, one of the things that's so tough, obviously, for people who have full blown, whether it's a depression or a you know, manic episode or a panic attack is obviously it's 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 so powerful and it's, it's so overwhelming and the suffering is so great. But one of the things that a lot of people sometimes take for granted is that these more minor fluctuations, you know, like so, for example, you're talking about cycling from something where you're more up versus more down that can be really difficult, not only because it kind of takes you off your game, but because it's hard to know, like, is this a, is this a problem? Like, am I, am I just feeling energetic? Am I, am I just, did I just not sleep well? And it makes it that much harder to be able to say, oh, there's something happening and I need to get help for it. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, and then deciding like what, what kind of help is appropriate. But for me, um, just getting into reaching out, um, to both, you know, support from, you know, friends that I have that where we really get super honest with each other. You know, I have, um, I have guys that I would really deep heart to heart check-ins and that's become especially, um, needed during this time of forced isolation of a, a pandemic, but then, and also I just, I'm a huge proponent of, of therapy, you know, cause there's, there's certain things that, or I, I need the big guns to, 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 um, be helped with, you know, there's, it's just, it's been a very, it's been a very crazy time. And, uh, I think that it's the more people admit that things are kind of tough right now, the better, because it's been a, such a divided time and there's just so much fear. We have no idea when, you know, economically things are going to open up and um, you just have to really um, use your tools to, to get through life right now. And that means um, telling people how you feel and being there for others, because, um, you know, most of the best healing comes from trying to help other people, you know, so um not what you know I'll, I'll reach out to somebody to, first to see how they're doing but i also kind of want to share how i'm doing but um you know it, it needs to be kind of a a balanced support thing that we have with our our friends and loved ones where we're both there for each other you know it's it's interesting because we're, we're talking about you know the anxieties you were feeling back when you were starting out you know, as a performer and, and you know, as your, your star was rising and now all the way to now, you know, it's your 50th birthday, uh, 311 just celebrated its 30th anniversary, 30 years of 311 I saw online. And, yeah. you know, I think that one of the things that's so striking about this time is that so much of the management of anxiety is predicated on the management of catastrophic thinking, you know, yeah. that like, and the, the, one of the things that I think a lot of people are struggling with right now is that there are a lot of catastrophic thoughts that would have previously seemed, uh, I, I don't like the term pathological, I don't like the term irrational, but let's just use that for a moment, that now all of a sudden seem like, well, maybe, like, yeah. you know, maybe that could happen, you know, yeah. and, and I'm kind of curious for you in your journey, because you're talking about having managed those conditions a while back to now it seems like the lay of the land has changed a little bit. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point that um, previously it was just more of a mental exercise to, to stop from, um, you know, going to a worst case scenario, um, you know, ca catastrophizing that type of thing. And now it, there is a, 
there is a question of like, you know, is, are things going to go up in flames, both metaphorically and, and, and literally, you know, and there was a time last week when there was, you know, fires three, three days in a row, we had fires that luckily were put out around, um, around my house. But then when you add to that, just uncertainty in society, um, financially, I have no idea when we're, you know, able to go back to work and, but, you know, just trying to keep it in perspective, like that there are people that are dealing with way worse things. So, um, keeping, keeping myself from, um, going too dark, but this is a very different time. I mean, back in the nineties, there was, I felt out of step with music because there was so much angst and anger. And I was like, what is everybody so mad about? You know, this is such a time of prosperity. You know, it was after the fall of the Soviet Union, because in the 80s, we were like, there could be a nuclear war. And, you know, and then all of a sudden there was, we had no enemies. And it was like this wonderful, um, you know, time of, of, of peace and prosperity. Yet there was something that where culture needed to complain and be angry. And I felt out of step with it. But now there are more real problems that are um it it seems like a more difficult time and things you know coming up with the pandemic is something that we never really could uh could foresee but you know when i did my album with the quintet there's a song on there called the dreamer um where i talk about you know i never think there's going to be a rainy day ahead in my forecast but then the good times don't last and i feel like an outcast like i am not somebody that plans well for the future like I just I'm kind of optimistic to a fault a lot of times and um, so now it's been to like okay there's there's a lot of real serious problems that are going on and I just really need to get into the present moment like everything's okay for right now I don't know how next year is going to look I don't know what's going to happen with the environment and society and but um but I'm okay today at this moment. And so that's why I get back to that one-on-one -on -one love of, of time with the family, connecting with my, my friends, opening up deeply to my wife, making sure that I'm really taking part in my support system because it's like shit's getting real. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny cause you allude to that feeling out of step. And, and, you know, when you and I originally talked, I had said to you, um, and wrote in the article that based on our interview that, you know, I, I was so taken with your cover of, of the cures love song. I mean, it just was, it was, and I, I, <laughs> I think to a large degree, I, I wanted originally to interview because I was like, what on earth did you do? You know? And, and one of the things that we came to was that the, the cures version, which was, you know, majestic, obviously in its own right, like it, it, it was, it was this mournful, vibe and yours 311s wound up being hopeful you know so just in addition to being able like anyone who can do something with that song and and you know is such a, a great artistic feat but what you're talking about about that being out of step it almost felt to me like that song symbolized it like here was a song that so represented the vibe of the time it was the cure it was there was the, the moodiness and, the, and all the things I love about The Cure, and I'm sure that you do too. But here was this band that was now taking that song and making it hopeful. And, and, and that was what we came to understand was like, okay, that's what's different about the song. It's like brighter somehow. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of curious for you, we talked about the concept of that, that heavy positivity, that idea that you're like, again, more optimistic sometimes than other people. And, and how that's developed for you and how that's manifesting now at a time when, like we said, it's like, man, this is a tough time to be positive. Yeah. Well, I thank you for those comments. I think that when what we happened upon to achieve the love song cover is that extreme vulnerability of, you know, in the verses um, admitting that like loneliness and yearning, but then getting to the choruses of like, um, however far away, I will always love you. Like that, 
that hope to so there's an arc that's going back and forth between um you know loneliness and and the solution which is that which is connection um so i think that's when you got to you got to really put your let leave let your vulnerability open up in in music because people can people can sense that people can sense the the authenticity of when you're really um feeling it and i never wanted to manufacture emotions just to kind of fit in with what with what is like going on culturally like just being true to yourself do do your own thing and um some people are like they associate positivity with shallowness because it's not it's not just you know up with people everything's great all the time it's the struggle to look at the bright side of things to keep from going too dark i mean that the the message of 311 was is uh you know basically sharing tools of self preservation to to have a good attitude um and to find a a, a reason to to feel hopeful and um reading uh steven pinker's book all of his books are was just such a huge um inspiration to me about how to be he doesn't call it optimism but just how to have a having a scientific reason to to think that life is actually going in a in a good direction because we have not magnifying minds that want to focus on what's wrong in the world and that has made us successful as a species because we're always wanting to get better and build things bigger and improve 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 but that comes from our mind a negativity bias um and so to hear a scientific person's kind of put out words that are um kind of explain what i was feeling was kind of a good revelation and kind of enforced what you know our attitude has always been in our lyrics yeah and so let's let's get to the um what how you do this because again you know going back to the comparison with love song it's like you know when i would listen to robert smith say it it was like i just felt like okay i'm in a cave and i love this person and there's just no way that that person's ever going to love me and you know what i'm okay with it and like i i kind of learned to live with it and so you listen to that and you're like okay there's validation that there's someone out there who is defeated but like there's some kind of solace in the defeat because it i guess it's like you know better to have loved and lost kind of a thing and then the 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 pivot with you guys where it's like you know even the video it's like it's in a bar and there's people around and it's bright and the the hopeful part you know like the i will always you know i will always love you as a as an invitation right and and to use that metaphor for what i think you're talking about just personally how do you take that potential defeat which is so easy to go into you know, and turn it into like, well, maybe, like, maybe there's a chance here. Yeah. I mean, I think that I had um, been very attracted to not only the cure, but also the Smiths and where there was such open self-deprecation that of someone saying out these words that we have all had these thoughts, like when um, Louder Than Bombs is such a such a good album and this song i know i'm unlovable you don't have to tell me now i'm not going to say i'm categorically unlovable but at a certain point we've all felt that way that um am, am i worthy self-doubt questioning self-loathing you know different things like that i mean i i don't know if that's everyone's experience but just for me you know admitting that those are thoughts that i have feels I know I related to hear someone else say that first and then to so so having that kind of vulnerability I mean we all crave relating we want to relate that's why we seek relationships you know what I mean I I just my my wife said that to me when we were first dating I was like ah that is so heavy that that is what art can provide for us is to have that um you know relating in a deep way that sometimes just the written word like if you just wrote the word sad you you oh yeah i know what sad means but if you played some music 
that you were feeling when you were sad that um, can express it and, and make people feel it much in such a, a deep way. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really a mysterious thing, the way music works to be able to evoke emotion. And uh, it's just like the never ending journey to try and further, deeper, more authentically express what you're going through. And it's interesting because I'm, I'm thinking as you're talking a lot about that original concept of what if and, and how that can be so damaging. You know, what if something bad happens when I'm on stage? You know, what if there's a fire? You know, all these things. And, and then the, the transition to, but what if, what if is used in a more hopeful way? You know, I'm feeling down, I'm feeling horrible, but, but what if this will end at some point? You know, what if I could find, like, I feel unlovable, but what if I could find love? And, and the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm, I'm recognizing what you're talking about with music. Um, I, feel like, I feel like every time we talk, I figure out why I like your version of love, love song more. It's like a personal journey of me figuring out why that song resonated with me so much. But one of the things that's different is that it's transformational. It's, you know, you're talking about music, but there's, there's a lot of music out there that's fantastic. It's like wonderful music, but it doesn't, it doesn't move me from one place to another. It doesn't take me from, from sad to happy. I can listen to it and I can be like, hey, that's good music. It doesn't take me from validated, you know, unvalidated or invalidated to validated and hopeful. And I'm kind of curious just from your perspective, like, because that, that's what I'm hearing as you're talking is what's happening, like, at least for your process of music. Yeah. Um, and I think another important thing to mention is that 311 has um, decided it's okay to be joyful in a, in, in a way that is, um, I don't know, not, I, I think we do joy better than, like, it, it's something that we just were like, unapologetic amount of having these kind of like um you know hippie sort of all you need is love type moments like our very first single was called do you right and it was just an expression of brotherly love and um and people it was just so out of sync with what was going on in 1993 when we put it out that to me i think it's I've mentioned in the lyrics a bunch of times, you got to have a full range of emotion. You've got to be able to express completely um, your vulnerabilities and your hope and your, you know, your, your defects. Um, and that, and that people will, people will hear that and people will relate. So, um, you know, there's, we've having 13 albums under our belt, there's been so many things to say, but it feels like there's, still more to say especially now when there's just been such a unique set of circumstances has has come up well you know i think one of the things that you're saying that's so important and this is i think important in therapeutic situations but also just when we're managing ourselves you know going back to that anxiety if if you're sitting there and having catastrophic thoughts about something that might happen on stage and you just tell yourself basically Oh, shut up. It'll be okay. Right. That's, that's not really hopeful. Right. That's, that's basically suppression. Right. And it's so important. Like you said, that term, like, like appreciating the range of emotions. It's so important, whether it's, it's therapeutically or just with yourself to be able to say, no, 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 I, I get that. Like I I'm with you about all the things that could go wrong on stage and, and, and how potentially catastrophic it could be. I'm not saying that I don't see it, I'm saying I see it, I'm sitting there with you with it, and I'm just offering up the possibility that certain doom is not the only option, you know? Yeah, I, I think that, um, and, and talking to somebody about it is such a important thing. I mean, this podcast of having musicians get this honest about, you know, with, um, you know, what problems that this probably wouldn't have existed 10 years ago, because there's just been so much, you know, more um, destigmatization of, of mental health. I mean, I remember when Kevin Love came out and talked about panic attacks a few years ago, it was, it was, it was big news just for 
somebody that's operating at such a, a high level to to get honest about something like that. But one person that was incredibly ahead of their times was Mr. Rogers. This guy was living in the future. And I was so, I mean, I grew up as a, you know, in the seventies as a, you know, a PBS kids kid, because there wasn't much kid programming on. And I, I love the Mr. Rogers show. And then to, to now to see both the Tom Hanks movie, as well as the, documentary and hear him talk about if it's mentionable it's manageable was such i mean because he would go there on his show of you know to talk about families breaking up and people would be like why do you want to bring this up in a kid's show he said because this is what's going on and if people can feel like it's it's okay to bring up these hard subjects then they feel not so alone i know it's it's so funny because like and and as far as someone who, like you said, was was on the cutting edge, but even that that because you you and I grew up in the same era, just like that basic fundamental premise, that mantra, like "Won't you be my neighbor?" Yeah. I mean, so that's so basic, and I remember because you know I, that's just that's just a phrase that that makes total sense to me. I yeah. but I, I'd be very curious, like what was the world like when people didn't grow up hearing that? Yeah. You know? Because it's so, it's so, it's again, like getting back to what we're talking about, it's not denying. And again, like, you know, like the seventies, like there's like the, the world was not necessarily a happy place back then. And he wasn't sitting here saying, and maybe refused to say like, oh, it's all okay. And he's not saying like, hey, everything's good. Don't worry. You know, he's saying, just won't you be my neighbor in the context yeah. of all that, that it is, it's like, it's very like subversively like powerful in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, how ballsy, for lack of a better word, it was to, to be that way in a time when, um, you know, in the 70s, when that was not the 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 model of what men were supposed to do. And I, I love the Sopranos, too, of uh, the way, um, you know, Tony Soprano's main character was like, why can't we just be the strong, silent type anymore? Because it doesn't work. You know what I mean? To, and to have that vulnerability and to see when you try and suppress too much and pretend that nothing's wrong, that's when he was having those panic attacks. You know what I mean? So there's these, you know, little things in, in that both music, art, film can really, you know, open your eyes to where where we need to move as yeah. a society. And it's so interesting that you're saying that because you're because you're right. I mean, the. The I mean, there were so many interesting arcs, obviously, in The Sopranos, but but you're right. One of them that was so fascinating to watch was you, you were sitting there and you were just saying, you know, if this guy could just get mad at his mother, he, he wouldn't be flipping out. And 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 I don't I don't mean to belittle that, you know, kind of a thing in panic attacks. But you're right, like as a as a as an illustration of an emotional process it time and time again delivered on that fundamental thing that you're talking about here, which is that here's a guy who could not experience the range of emotions that was required to properly put into context all the horrible things that were happening in his life. And that's where the panic attacks came from. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to, it, it lets you know as a parent why you need to be, um, why kids need approval so much because when when Tony Soprano didn't have that approval and had that criticism it just messed everything up so um you know knowing with my kids today of just acknowledging their good deeds all the time and you know and kids all have different levels of accomplishment so you know sometimes you're patting them on the back for for tiny little things but just people need that that pat on the back so much like it, it's it, you know parenting is is such a is such a trip and just having and also having that physical human contact like i remember you know reading the parenting books and hearing about 10 hugs a day you know because the oxytocin that both sides get from that bonding you know now we we call it a cuddle puddle like having you know the kids jump in the bed and you know watch an episode of the simpsons or something like that 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 safety that human approval that human contact 
um it's just so so needed and you know now we're just figuring out why why it's so needed and what to do to get better at it It, and it's it's interesting because one of the things you know when when you were talking we were talking originally what what i see as this like heavy positivity which which i feel like is a book that i want you to write you know and one of the things that that you talked about whether it was your mom using the phrase love as a verb or or you using the term gratitude as an action is is the the sense of the process the 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 appreciation and respect for the fact that you can't give a kid a hug once you know and have it be okay Everything that we do in society that in theory is supposed to bring some kind of spiritual or emotional benefit, whether it's prayer or meditation or exercise or whatever it is that we do, writing, creativity, it is not something that you can just do once or twice and then, oh, you told me you, you, told me you loved me uh, 10 years ago. I guess we're good. And I, I really appreciated the fact that you were very, very specific about how important it is that these things are actions and they're ongoing actions. Yeah. Uh, and I think one, when I talk to my friends about taking care of ourselves, I say, um, you know, facing our issues is a process of erosion, not surgery. It's, it's, it's like a, a repetitive thing that you have to do to take care of yourself. If, you know, if I have self I have self-criticism. I, I have had a problem with that of like, it's never enough. It's never enough. And that has driven me to do better. So I have to constantly counteract that with self-affirmations of, you know what? I did a good job today. I'm being, I'm, I'm making the world a better place. And, you know, it's, it's erosion, not surgery. You can't just like, all right, I figured it out. I'm, I'm fine. It'll, it's never, that's, it's never going to be just one thing that you just saw that you have to keep reminding yourself of of those kind of affirmations and, and that's one of the things that's been so tough you know everyone like when there's a movie about therapy or something like oh you should watch this i'm like i i do this every day like i don't want to watch a movie or a tv show really about therapy the sopranos was like the only one that that i really did and maybe a little bit of monk but like it, the thing that's always so frustrating to me is that it's such great cinema the idea that you're going to have this one moment that's going to change everything. It's, right. it's, it's, it's theatrical and it's dramatic. And it's almost this like collusion that we all do. It's like, it's so great for me as a therapist, if I could bring you to that one moment, that's going to, you know, I have that magic and it's amazing for you because then it's over and you're better. And, you know, just like to agree with what you're saying, it's like, it just doesn't happen that way. And it's so dangerous for people to believe that it, that it does because then they don't know how to orient to the ongoing nature of managing something like anxiety. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a never ending journey to keep those kind of self care things. And there was a time around the uplifter album when I was super into the power of now and Eckhart Tolle and just like super into, I went to Buddhist meetings and things like that. And then I just, once you, well, I started having kids, I basically all my care was focused on them. But now in the pandemic, I've realized like I have to carve out a little more time for my own self-care and then getting. So now just doing some meditations each day because um, of this like, you know, fear mongering, uh, disaster baiting, <laughs> you can call it like. Nice. Um, <laughs> to, to turn to you know turn the mental tide around is not something that you can like let a therapist all of a sudden say one thing and the lights will come on it's it's through a you know, repetitive series of, of action that you have to turn this big ship towards where you want to go and, and it's it gets back to even that process that you were talking about at the beginning that that simple but but devastating process of my mind spinning and I'm not sleeping. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's something that a lot of times when you're younger, you know, a lot of people don't sleep or they sleep at weird hours, but you, you see how insidious mental health issues can be 
when something that could even be a minor anxiety process and you're having trouble sleeping and all of a sudden you're that cranky guy in the morning and all of a sudden, like, you know, you're barking at your kids a little, and I'm saying this from me being that guy often, you know, you're, you're barking at your kids. You're a little less like, you know, tolerant with your spouse. And, and you, you look back and you're like, wow, like I've been kind of like the stress in this house for a while. And, and yeah. now all of a sudden your life is different. And it all came from that small, like seemingly simple and under the radar anxiety experience that you weren't quite sure was such a big deal. But then you look back and you're like, wow, this has been undermining me for like a long time. Sure. And in, in also rewinding the tape even further before the hard night of sleep, like I mentioned that I would go through these peaks and valleys um, of I don't know, mood or the swings, whatever you want to call it. But obviously I want to be in that good mood. So you naturally find ways to keep yourself moving slightly towards the mania side where, whether it's like through tons of caffeine or, you know, some cannabis or whatever, like once, if you, if you figure out how to stay on the mania side, you are going to have to crash sometimes. And that's why, people get into this, you know, self-medication, like you can force, you, you can create a mania through hard drugs and where that you're going to crash hard. So keeping, you know, control of, of vices um, is important. And then what you said, when you realize that you're being really cranky to, to, to tell your loved ones, you know what, I'm having a bit of a tough time right now. This is not exactly how I want to be. Um, to make that amends, um, you know, that feels good to, to get that out. It's, it's, I mean, I knew, cause I mean, you know, for, for most of my early life, I mean, I never, I never really was a heavy drinker in terms of frequency, but, but whenever I did, it was always intense and it was, and it, you know, and all of a sudden I was looking back and I'm like, you know, I'm getting into the cycle where like, and I don't even notice it, like where I'm out all night and, and you're talking about that manic. It's like when, when I would get a few drinks in me, I just felt awesome. And like, you know, everything seemed to like puffed up and like I could take on the world and this is fantastic. And it was great. And then I just didn't notice that the next day I was a wreck because I just kind of was like already focused on, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to rest up so I can go out the next night and, and have that same experience. And it felt fun and it, and it was fun. It was fun. It was, but I knew before when I knew right before I met my wife, I was like, I, I can't do this. She's there's no way she's going to tolerate this. Like, I, I don't mean her, like, I don't think anybody's going to tolerate this. And, you know, I have no idea how I would ever be able to do that and then have kids. Yeah. Because so much of it is being able to be there in the morning, like, uh, like not, the way at least I used to be in those times. Yeah. I think when you're, when you're young, you have this illusion that you can sort of cheat karma by having, you know, the yin without the yang. And then at some point you realize like there's, you got to pay the piper at some point. So you can't, you know, manufacture such intense highs without really paying for it with, with, with lows. So now as, as I go on just getting into the self-care of like, noticing how much better I feel when I have exercise, when I have, you know, check-ins with people, when I have some, all these different, you know, self-care now, like I said, getting back into meditation, like those are the kind of things that work to improve your mindset without a huge cost to pay. Now, now let me make a distinction between two types of self-care. And, and maybe one is self-care and one's not. So there's the self-care that stabilizes us. And then there's like, okay, so let's say, for example, it's like, okay, you know, somebody's drinking heavily or doing drugs or whatever, and then you're offering up to them. It's like, well, you know, take care of yourself a little bit more. There are certain things that meditation or exercise or getting regular sleep, eating healthy, that kind of smooth us out. But then the question becomes, do those in and of themselves produce those highs that you're kind of giving up if you're going to lead a healthier lifestyle? You know, cause like a lot of people will say, well, I'm, I'm more stable. I'm clearer. I'm like, you know, I, I'm healthier, 
but I miss those, those like elated, crazy elated moments. And I don't, I don't even mean the word crazy from a mental health perspective. I mean, from a like, you know, nightlife or like whatever kind of perspective. Yeah. Um, a breakthrough for me is when I heard um, the, the, I guess you maybe a slogan, but if you want self-esteem, you have to do esteemable acts. So, and I think that needs to be a combination of stuff of taking care of yourself and also taking care of other people. And to me, you know, there's, there were times where I was not happy with the way that I was living and what I was just really lacking that self-esteem. So just getting into, um, you know, growing up to take better care of myself and, and realize that kind of self-esteem is almost the whole ball of wax when it comes to happiness, to feeling good about yourself. I mean, if they could have a pill that was give you self-esteem, I would definitely buy stock in that pharmaceutical company because that is such the, the important thing in, in how we feel about ourselves, but it's, there is no, there's really no short, shortcuts. It's about doing acts that make you feel good about yourself, taking care of yourself and others. Um, but, and also, you know, having, not being in a total routine, like I can't be Mr. I'm perfect. I'm going to work all the time. Like, you know, last night we were doing our Halloween celebration. I was like, let's go candy. Let's, let's just, you know, I'm, I'm not prescribing like a monk, like, um, life at all, but just, you know, having those, uh, self-care actions that are also taking care of other people is so important. I mean, that's, that's the thing that I think is so tough. You know, you mentioned that concept of unlovable and I'll get so many people I work with who will say things like, oh, I'm afraid I'm unlovable. And I, and I try to say, I was like, listen, like that, that doesn't really mean anything, you know, because everybody is, is lovable if they want to put their love into action, you know? And it's like, okay, like, and they're like, well, well you know, what is that? What is that? It's like, well, you know, um, I think it was Keanu Reeves. I, I, don't, I hope I'm not misquoting, but he, he had this super interesting quote about how he, even when he's alone, like he take how he takes care of himself, like he gets himself food and he, he buys himself clothes. And there was this, what I, what I loved about it was it was this, this concept of thinking about being in a relationship with yourself first, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, well, if you want to, it's not about, are you unlovable or lovable? That's a static concept. It's art. It's just like what you're saying. It's like, it's like, it's just like getting up and saying like, well, how can I engage in loving acts? on different levels. Yeah. And, um, that whole concept reminds me of, um, Billie Eilish's song, my future and how she is, I have three daughters. So that, that music is on a lot, not only the, the vocal performance and the cool chords and like the funky jazz that's going on underneath it, but just the whole concept of, of, um, like kind of dating yourself and just being and being in love with your future. And I know I'm supposed to be unhappy because I'm not in a relationship, but aren't I someone, you know, that's really, really powerful stuff. Good for girls, especially to hear. Well, and I, and I, I think back to it and I say this to, you know, anybody I'm working with, it's like, when I look back on how things went in my life, either good or bad, it almost always comes back to, but like, what, what was, what was I doing? Like, was I connecting with myself? Like, you know, I know the work that I like to do. Was I into it? You know, I like, I know the way I like to exercise. Was I into it? I know how I like to connect with my friends and all of that before you necessarily get to that binary. Well, am I in a relationship or have I found love? And um, it's, it's, it's so important as, you know, getting back again to this idea of like, how do we care for ourselves when we're struggling with our mental health? I would, I'm curious your thoughts on, but I would definitely say to everyone, you know, start, start there if possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I had identified in myself that in, you know, the, in the old days that I was afraid to be alone because I needed somebody there to tell me that everything's okay. So being that person, cause now, you know, I, I go out it, when you're, when you're a touring music, musician, you have such a night and day of like home life where you're 
always with your family to touring life where all of a sudden it's like all this me time from no me time of three having three kids and a wife and pets and everything to take care of to nothing to take care of except myself where i all of a sudden i'm like okay now i'm i'm going to step up my my self care of like kind of doing a checklist like those are kind of my happiest times of when i'm okay i've i've done my exercise i'm going to you know work on my guitar playing i'm going to eat good i'm going to make those calls even if i don't feel like feel like it like use that contrary action to say i'm going to pick up the phone even if it seems really heavy because even though you're around people all the time on tour it's so surface that you need to sometimes like make yourself have a, a deeper conversation with not only family members but also guys that are you know like in a kind of parallel life so um it's it's a never-ending journey to figure out how to do it right i'm i'm always amazed when i hear the the stories of, of how much a musician's lifestyle seems singularly designed to destroy one's emotional and physical well-being like it is everything about what we as a society ask of our rock stars is you know like being away from home for for months years at a time like you know traveling in the middle of the night having all these bizarre sleep schedules um you know and even this thing that you're talking about like you know, what do you do if, if you're on a, you know, a hundred day tour and, and on the third one, you're a little bit anxious about getting on stage. It's like what, you know, in, for a lot of people, like we can take a little time, you know, we can sort of say like, all right, let me work on this. But, you know, you guys have to do this. You have to perform in some cases, no matter what. And, and to be honest, like, I don't know how sympathetic a lot of the fans i mean now i think much more now i think it's it's it, like to the point that you were saying before now i think it would be much different like if you came out and said hey I'm, I'm i'm struggling with with something with anxiety i think people would be much more supportive but back when you were starting nobody ever said that people were like you're, you're anxious you know I, I remember what happened when eddie vetter like had a, a a situation where he had to leave stage it was like international news he was like, yeah. I, he was the guy was the guy was sick as a dog. And, and, and Pearl Jam is one of those, at least from my understanding of is one of those real, you know, like they put it all there into their shows and I don't remember them ever missing anything before. And one time and everybody went ballistic on him. And that to me is just like, wow, that is what a pressure, you know? Yeah. It's, it's no, you'll have people, certain people, it's all poor rock star and, and, you know, mock you, but, um, you know, all we can ever hope to be is human and it's becoming more and more okay to be human as I definitely see that things are going in the right direction with just people waking up to preconceived notions that are, that are wrong, you know, whether it's sexism or all these different things, racism, like, like there's just such a beautiful awakening going on there is reason to be hopeful about society but then the thing is is that every time we uncover something that's wrong then it just it's like you're you're seeing so many more things that we still have so much further to go and then and then everyone argues about is this really a problem or not and and you know it's like you just have to be true to yourself well, and it's, and it's also, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, again, like, you know, why, why this podcast, you know, in part, it's because we're, you know, we're all fascinated with the people who, you know, create these moments in our lives. You know, it's like you and I have only talked a couple of times, but I've listened to your music for years. So it's like, it's like this important thing in my life. And it's very, very damaging. And I think it really perpetuates the stigma of mental illness when somebody struggles with something like addiction or depression or, you know, had a trauma and, and people treat them horribly in, in yeah. whatever form on a public stage. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, oh, oh, that person's, that person's an addict. It's like, what do you think all everybody else who's an addict is now thinking like, Oh, I, I want to go out and I want to really get help. You know, no, they're going to be like, I don't want anyone to know this because I don't want people to mock me or shame me 
or make me feel bad the way that they're they're making this person who's publicly struggling with something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's there, there's more, it's more safer to admit your problems now. And that's, that's a good thing, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough journey. And I, I think that's where a lot of my anxiety came from um, in the, as you went from unknown super um super ambitious unknown band to all of a sudden the glare of the spotlight of like wait i always wanted to be here but now do i really deserve this is am i really um worthy of being here and then because i have so much self-criticism um that was what i was that was where the anxiety was coming from for me like am I going to be able to handle this, this spotlight of everything that I worked so hard for or not? Um, but it's, there's no, there's no quick and easy answer. So that's when I had to really like say, okay, I, I need some help with this. And then it, 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 it got better. <laughs> well, listen, you know, just, I'm looking at the time and I just want to make sure, uh, did we miss anything? Did we cover <laughs> all the important bases? <laughs> We covered a lot, you know, I, uh, I love, I love talking about this stuff because it's just, like I said, the never ending journey. So it, I had no idea where we were going to go. So it's, it's fun. We, we covered some cool territory and I, hopefully some people out there would, would relate. Well, listen, it's always great talking with you and uh, I very much appreciate you stepping up and um, I think I'm saying thanks on behalf of everybody who's out there because look, you, you know, you don't, you don't have to do this. Like, you know, you, you don't have to step up and, and be vulnerable and share these issues and talk about your process. You know, you, you, people would be perfectly okay with you just playing great music. And so when, but when somebody like you steps up, is that many more people who are thinking to themselves, you know, oh, you know, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I can get better. You know, maybe I can go another day. Maybe I can like, you know, it's, it's okay. Reach out. Yeah. And it's so uh, very grateful, my man. And so thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me again. Appreciate the kind words, Dr. Mike. Good to talk to you again. All right. Take care. So there it is. Nick Hexum of 311 talking about how he experiences anxiety, the factors that contribute to his being more anxious and how he copes. Now, there's a lot to learn from Nick here. One of the first things is the way Nick describes his anxiety as mind-spinning. And Nick explained how when his mind spins, he often falls into a cycle of racing thoughts, poor sleep, and anxiety. It's important to remember that even though we all struggle with our mental health at times, the way we struggle may be very different. And the more we can examine and understand the way something like anxiety specifically manifests in our life, the better chance we have of coping. One of the factors that Nick describes as making his anxiety worse is what he calls future tripping, that unfortunate habit we can get into where we look too far into the future so we get anxious about something that may or may not happen later in our lives and don't focus on living our life in the here and now. And just like when I spoke with him originally, I was once again struck by Nick's dedication to his active and ongoing process of working on anxiety and mental health that includes therapy, focusing on how to understand and tolerate negative emotions, and working to find healthier and more adaptive ways of thinking. An important takeaway from Nick's insights can be that for all of us, mental health is a verb. Anything that we do in our lives that brings us joy or satisfaction, be it prayer, work, healthy eating, meditation, being kind to others, it must be something that we don't just do once and forget about. To get the full results, we have to do these things daily over the course of our lives to get the effect we want. And it's the same with mental health. One concrete thing we can do to improve our overall mental health is to choose something that we think is going to help us cope with mental illness, develop it as a skill, and make it a habit. Maybe we start getting therapy regularly, or start taking medication. Maybe we keep an active list of things for which we are grateful in this world. Or maybe we just reach out to friends and loved ones and share our story to help reduce our own internal stigma of mental illness. 
I want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and SoundMind Live for including me in this wonderful project, which is sponsored by Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at The Crossroads. Consequence Podcast Network.